Hello, welcome to Workplace Wake Up. I'm Jen Shaw. Every week, I spend about 15 minutes covering legal developments, introducing you to interesting guests, and providing some entertainment to start your workday. Hi, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about some new guidance from the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. As you may recall, back in 2007, the EOC released some guidance about caregiver discrimination. So discrimination against folks who are caring for other individuals. Obviously, because of COVID-19, we've had a lot of caregiving issues. Many of you probably realize that our California supplemental sick leave applies to folks who are caring for family members and there are other protections as well. The importance of this recent guidance from the EEOC is that although it recognizes that caregiver status alone is not a protected characteristic, so just being a caregiver doesn't prevent you from being discriminated against, that caregiver status is often based on stereotypes. So we assume that in a family, the woman is going to stay home and take care of the sick children, right? That's just a very common stereotype that many employers um, have. So because of everything that has gone on during COVID and the discrimination that the EEOC is worried about, they've issued this new guidance. And the guidance is just that, it's guidance. So I want you to understand that even though it's a government publication, it's a federal government, we are not looking at the guidance, of course, as a law. And in California, we have additional obligations that go beyond what the EEOC tells us because California law is generally more strict than federal law. Having said that, it's very important to keep up with what the EEOC is doing. There are a few reasons for that. Number one, our Department of Fair Employment and Housing here in California often tracks what the EEOC is publishing and what they are focused on, all right? So, for example, we had fair pay issues the EEOC was concerned about. Then the DFEH said, yep, we're concerned too. And now we've got Fair Pay and Equal Pay Act provisions in California. So keep in mind, although federal law is often not as protective as California law, it's still very important. Now, the new guidance is focused on disparate impact. What that means is how different groups of people are affected by caregiver discrimination, okay? So it's not so much that we have direct discrimination where an employer says, I am going to discriminate against female caregivers. We have a neutral rule that will adversely affect female caregivers or people of color or whatever may be going on in terms of protected categories. So remember I told you that just being a caregiver alone isn't enough to make you protected against caregiver discrimination. That discrimination has to be directed at you because of your race, your color, your sex, your national origin, um, your gender. Remember that includes pregnancy, sexual orientation, and gender identity. Also your religious belief, your age, and your disability and or genetic information. So we're looking at all of the same protected categories that Title VII and the Age Discrimination and Employment Act and the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act 
all of those laws that come into play um, on a federal level, if a caregiver is being mistreated on the basis of any of those categories, we have a discrimination problem. So for example, if we have a situation where an employee is subject, for example, to attendance restrictions, they are not supposed to be absent. And if they're absent, they're gonna get a point. Well, those have to be applied consistently, right? We have to have rules that apply um, consistently among our employees, regardless of those protected status. So for example, the guidance talks about caregiver discrimination related to sex and pregnancy by saying, number one, don't deny male caregivers leave or a flexible schedule to care for a family member with COVID-19. If you're gonna provide that time off to female caregivers or female employees, you're gonna to have to give it to males as well. You can't refuse to hire pregnant applicants because you're assuming that they're gonna to wanna to be home and protect their pregnancy, right? Can't do that. Um, you can't allow employees to tease pregnant employees because they wanna wear a mask. They're worried about their pregnancy. And even though it's not required to wear masks, they're choosing to do so to protect their pregnancy. You don't wanna allow any harassment or mistreatment of those individuals. You also wanna make sure that there are no comments being made about female employees taking time off or males for that matter during the pandemic in terms of how that time off may affect their promotional abilities or opportunities. The idea of the guidance is that you cannot make decisions based on stereotypes. It's really that clear. So whether we're talking about sex or gender, we're talking about race or national origin, um, we're talking about any of those protected categories, you have to be careful in terms of the rules you adopt and how they are enforced. Now, one of the things that's interesting about the guidance is it does discuss the ability of employers to hold caregivers accountable for their work performance, right? So just like with any other form of discrimination, if you have a legitimate reason to be making the decision you're making, disciplining someone, implementing corrective action, et cetera, if you've got a legitimate reason to do that, then you are not discriminating. So one of the things that the guidance does make clear is that employers can take action to address performance issues that are related to caregiving responsibilities. So in other words, just because somebody's a caregiver doesn't mean you have to excuse poor performance or unacceptable attendance. You're in a place where you are with any other form of discrimination. If you have a legitimate reason to do what you're doing, it's not discrimination. But if you make decisions based on stereotypes or you allow comments to be made that are inappropriate or you are not creating an environment where you are respecting people's needs to care for family members in a fair way, right? Not in a way that gives them more rights than others, but that they are not treated less than. That's what we're looking at when we talk about this caregiver discrimination. Now, one of the things I want you to understand is this EEOC guidance also comes with a link to best practices. 
Um, I just did a blog post on this, so there will be some links on the blog that you're going to want to look at. Make sure that you understand some of these ideas that the EOC is talking about are not going to necessarily be obvious. So, for example, one of the things they say is be careful about what documentation you're requesting. When somebody says, I need time off to care for a family member, be careful that you're asking all of your employees for the same documentation, that you're not going to assume, oh, well, we don't ask women for proof of familial relationship, but if a male um, employee asks for time off for caregiving, we're going to request some documentation because that's more unusual. I know it seems like nobody would ever do that, but the EOC talks about it because they've had complaints in this area where employers have not understood that the actions they're taking are really having that disparate impact. They're unfairly affecting a group of individuals because of a protected category. Now, the California legislature has looked at caregiving protections. The DFEH, the Department of Fair Employment and Housing, has some information on the website about uh, caregiver responsibilities. Just like any other protected uh, category, you want to think about why you're doing what you're doing, right? What is the rationale for your policy? What's the rationale for your decision? And in California, just like federal law, being a caregiver in and of itself is not protected, right? It's not one of those protected categories. We have more categories than federal law protects, but caregiver is still not a protected category. One of the other interesting things that I want you to think about with respect to this guidance is they talk about associational discrimination. So you might remember a case that came down in California a few years ago where there was a gentleman who worked for a company. He needed time off to care for his son who was very ill. And actually it wasn't time off as much as it was just a, a flexible schedule. So he needed to come to the office earlier so he could leave early and make sure that he could change his son's feeding tube. And the company allowed this for years and years. It was no problem at all. Then a new manager came in and said, well, what are you talking about? Why do you need time off? Get somebody else to go do that. Now, his son was older. He, he was heavier. No one else in the family could lift him. And this had not been a problem. But the new manager comes in and says, hey, that doesn't make sense. I mean, you just need to find someone else to do that. And the HR department said, well, the manager's right because you're not entitled to an accommodation, right, unless you're disabled. So remember, we have four categories of people who are protected against disability discrimination. People who have a disability, people who used to have a disability, they don't anymore, but uh, they used to, and they may have some lingering effects. People whom we regard as having a disability, they're not disabled, but we think whatever's going on with them is a disability and we somehow want to limit their opportunities because of it. Or the fourth category is they have an association or relationship with someone who has a disability. Now, only that first category, only the folks who actually have a disability are entitled to reasonable accommodation. So in the case I was just mentioning, the HR department says, well, if you don't want to allow him to have the schedule flexibility, you don't have to because he's not entitled to an accommodation 
for his son's medical condition. He's protected against discrimination for that associational relationship, but he's not entitled to an accommodation. And at first the court said, nope, we think he's entitled to an accommodation. And then they realized the Fair Employment and Housing Act doesn't say that. So they issued a new decision saying, no, no, it's not an accommodation issue. It's an associational discrimination issue, right? Because why was the manager picking on this employee based on his relationship with his son when the schedule had not been a problem? And the manager couldn't provide any reason why that had changed. Why was this suddenly a problem? So if you look at that case in conjunction with the, the guidance that the EEOC just issued, you see how important it is to have someone in your organization managing these kinds of issues, who understands what's going on, who gets the situation, who knows what the rules are. So I want to remind you, it's very important to identify someone internally or a good you know, external resource who can help you with this, because these kinds of issues are very difficult to litigate. They're the most expensive cases that, that get litigated. Juries give the largest verdicts in these sorts of discrimination cases. So I want to make sure you're prepared for that. Thanks for joining me here today, everyone. Go out and do something kind. Be well. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to spread the word, please share it with others, post about it on social media, and or rate and review it. Of course, you can also follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, and email us at info at Workplace Wake Up, including its guests and hosts, do not provide legal advice in this podcast. Do not act upon any of the information discussed in this podcast without consulting a licensed attorney in your jurisdiction.